Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to worship at the altar of music and comedy. The giddiness and the harmony of a well-crafted comedy song brings great joy and abundance. Join the tinkling talents of David Thames and me, Phil Nickel. Sit back, turn it up, and enjoy Songs in the Key of Laugh. Yeah, Songs in the Key of Laugh. Songs in the Key of Laugh. My name is Phil Nickel. And I'm David Timms. And we're the guys presenting the podcast, obviously, because you're listening to us at the moment. On today's <laughs> episode, we are going to be looking at the instruments. Uh, so as we take apart you know musical comedy and we've looked at the musical comedians and uh and the lyrics and all that stuff today we're going to be looking at the actual instruments we are and kind of looking at a couple of people who who started on the instrument and then made it funny yes, yes. and also pointing out how many amazing comedians also play instruments tangentially we will be having our comedy song contest and we will also be taking a trip to our Desert Island Dicks, uh, our musical that we've been writing. Our improvised musical, yes. which is starting to take form. And I- <laughs> then, then we will be interviewing a dear friend of mine, and I think one of the finest purveyors of modern musical comedy, the wonderful David, David Eagle. Eagle. Uh, which song am I talking about, David? Uh, Are you thinking of Killing My Dog for Satan? I think that's one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen- <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah there's, um, there's a few titles that I like. Have you got one yeah. that's uh, What a Cunt? Is that one? What a Cunt? Ah, I yes. see. Are you thinking of. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's quite funny that I didn't think of that as offensive. Ah, oh, yes. <laughs> oh, what a Cunt. Hey, <laughs> 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 I, I assume you're thinking of the, the, the song about the dog, I assume. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, yes, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking of the song What a Cunt. Uh, I play the guitar and write all my songs on the guitar and you tend to be compose your stuff on a piano. You do play the guitar as well, of course. You probably yeah, I, I actually, when I when I write songs, I, I tend to, I write a lot of them on the piano, especially yeah. if I'm doing it for a particular reason. Like mm. if, if I was doing it for a paid job, normally I'd do that. But a lot of the time, if I'm writing something for myself, then I'll just sit and play the guitar and write mm. it on the guitar. Okay. Now the, the the guitar you probably as you're if you're listening you probably know the, the the guitar his nickname was the Spanish piano was it because yeah huh. because it's got like six strings on it how right. many strings in the piano loads yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's yeah. well there's, there's eighty eight keys there's three strings for the higher notes two for the mi- middle section one for the bottom so if you want to do the maths feel free well, no there's a okay. lot of strings. <laughs> But you've got lots. But you can you play with full ten fingers. Well, I guess you do on the guitar as well. Um, there's also the banjo. I think is a funny instrument. Um, that's Billy Conley played the banjo. Uh, Steve Martin does. I'm a rambling. I'm a rambling man. I'm a rambling. I'm a rambling guy. I'm a rambling guy. Do you know? He, he plays it very well. He's got the whole, the rolls down and everything. Well, he's banjo. actually Grammy Award winning uh, on on, on the, the banjo. banjo. Really? Yeah. yeah. We've yeah. spoken about this before, haven't we? I think we have. Yeah, yeah. And the kazoo. 
I mean, how can you put the kazoo in as the same level as Steve Martin's banjo playing? Well, originally <laughs> they had like kazoo Grammy. <laughs> I don't think the kazoo's a laughing matter, to be honest. <laughs> it is. It's not. It's a very serious instrument. Okay. It takes a real style and class to be able to play the kazoo correctly. Um, I mean, you, you do need to be able to sing in tune, I guess. You've got to be able to sing because you're humming, basically. So I think similar to the embouchure of a trumpet player, which gives them a, the ability to hit high notes and low notes, a kazoo player. I think kazoo players and trumpet players are very similar. Really. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know, ever tell a trumpet player that. <laughs> well, I think if you're a trumpet player and you disagree with me, write in <laughs> songs in the key of laugh at gmail.com. Go on, complain. I think, in fact, the kazoo might be a little more tricky to play than the trumpet. Don't you dare. No, uh, this, the, the, the kazoo is, is fun. Uh, so is the Swanee Whistle. The Swanee Whistle is like every panto band leader's dream because yes. um, they go that yeah, kind of thing. The Swanee is... Whistle is almost, I mean, maybe a little more difficult than the clarinet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Have you ever uh, listened to I'm Sorry I Haven't a Clue? Yes. On Radio 4. Yeah. yeah. It's a wonderful, wonderful, very long running show. But they have, uh, they have a round on it called Swanee Kazoo, where they play well known songs on the Swanee Whistle and the Kazoo. And it's normally a duet. Um, and it, it sounds catastrophic normally. Very yeah. funny. I don't know if you've ever taken a ruler and play it on the edge of your desk. You know, when you were young at school, you play oh, yeah, a yeah. desk. Yeah. That's, that's a bit like playing drums. <laughs> <laughs> well, Philip, now that you've uh, offended every single musician that listens to no, this. No, I haven't offended saxophone players. <laughs> Not yet. No. <laughs> I'm waiting that's when for you, it. That's when you just hold your nose. Like, <laughs> 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 okay. All right. I want to talk about uh, somebody who was genuinely phenomenal uh, Victor Borg. Victor Borger. Borger? Borg. Borg. It's spelt Borger. I never really know how to say his name. Is it Borg? I, I've always said Victor Borg. Well, actually, write in and tell us. Actually, that wouldn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to spell it. <laughs> it's spelt like this, so you say it how it's spelt. Victor um, Borg. Victor, Victor Borg. Borg, yes. So Victor Borg, who was a child prodigy. Brilliant. Um, he was born in Denmark. Yep. And he was born, I think, like uh, 1909 or something like that. And um, he was, by the age of like three, his family knew that he was pretty good. By the age of like 10 or 11, that people were calling him a prodigy. Right. Um, And he and his family had to flee because he was Jewish. Yeah. um, And had to flee um, because of the Nazis because they they weren't very nice. Um, And he went over to America where he learned where he learned to speak English um, and uh, after many years of being this sensational pianist um, he had a different gift than just being able to play the piano in such a wonderful way mm. and he was able to get humour out of this classical music that he was playing mm. um, so for example he would turn a piece of music upside down and play it uh, it's, it sounds like this So you can see that his ability on the piano was was amazing. Yeah, exceptional. Um, yeah, and he could 
just he could just make humor out of absolutely everything but he also he had quite a serious side and he used had lots of anti-fascist humor that um he used through the you know through the war and and beyond but he also would he'd come on he wouldn't need to speak there's lots and lots of videos online of victor borg where he just walks on uh, he opens his mouth and lets out some smoke and already, without even playing a note or saying a word, he has the audience in stitches. Yeah, isn't that one of his jokes? Uh, who wants to hear piano? Do you like piano music? They go, yes, you too bad. <laughs> As if he's not going to play the piano. <laughs> exactly. Um, there's, uh, this is a little routine of his that he does uh, about uh, Viennese waltz. I'm going to play a Viennese waltz by a Viennese composer. <laughs> Gertner. When you hear this... That is the introduction to the waltz. Then when you hear this. That is the main theme of the waltz. Then when you hear this. Then there is definitely something wrong. <laughs> That is so good. So it's very funny. I mean, the history of uh, musical comedy pianists is vast, you know, going back, like there's Les Dawson, there's um, Tim Minchin, yep. Bill Bailey. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, the, list, the list goes on. Um, there's just something about being a master of the piano that allows you to be really, really funny. Lee Evans, even, you played the piano in his... He did a great his, job. Like always, He'd always finish with like a big song in any of his big stadium tours. Yes. Yeah, he'd always finish with a big, big number. He did, he's like done Bohemian Rhapsody as well. And, he's, oh. he, and what a singer. Yeah, he's fantastic. He was in The Producers. He was. I, my favourite show. He, he's actually an astoundingly talented human being. I really don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> There was a young man from Gosham Who took out his bollocks to wash them his, his wife said, Jack, if you don't put them back I'll stand on the buses and squash them Now, one thing that I've always found when, uh, when I play the piano uh, is that if somebody wants to offend you they will say, oh, you played that one like Les Dawson. Um, now, it's, <laughs> it's completely and utterly fair enough. And sometimes sometimes I do play songs like Les Dawson. Um, but Les Dawson was was quite, quite a good pianist. I don't know if you've heard much Les Dawson. Oh, I've heard quite a bit of Les Dawson, yeah. Yeah. But it's hard to know whether he's fantastic. You have to be, you have to be really great to be able to play badly. Well, you, you do, but I, I'm, I'm just not sure how good a pianist he was. I know that he used to make money by playing in i think it was like a french brothel i think that's where he first started right. making his money was playing okay. the piano in a french brothel okay. um and uh, and that's where he kind of started honing his comedy routine with the piano yes um but then he found that if he was to play really well-known songs and play them with the wrong notes right. it would make people absolutely fall about laughing yeah let's sing a song together will you join me in the golden oldie Let's start with that one side by side. Diminution fifth. <laughs> That's it.
to keep together. <laughs> uh, so that's just hilarious. It, it is hilarious, but for my ears, uh, as a musician, and also yeah. I was listening to it with my partner, and she's an opera singer, right. and both of us, every time one of the wrong notes came in, <laughs> our whole bodies just cringe. Ah! That's why I love it. Now, see, that's because you guys are musicians, and I'm a comedian, so it tickles my ears. <laughs> uh, there's also, we don't, haven't really spoken about um, uh, female musical comedians that play the piano i mean and there are many there are many and, and in the modern day there's rachel paris of course um and vicky stone who you you may or may not have heard of but you're going to hear because she's the first female band leader uh in almost 30 years on itv on a new show called romeo and duet so a shout out to vicky stone for all the incredible stuff she's doing but you can't really go past female piano players and comedy musicians without talking about victoria wood no, you can't. No, I didn't really get Victoria Wood in Canada. We didn't really, I didn't really know who she was until she came to this country. Um, but obviously, she's a national treasure. Um, yes. tell, tell me about her. What, what do I need to know about Victoria Wood? Victoria Wood was a force of nature. Mm -hmm. uh, she was a phenomenal comic that uh, she had a show on the BBC, which was an audience with Victoria Wood. Mm -hmm. She then did the very famous sitcom Dinner Ladies. Yeah, I've yeah, heard of that. Yeah, um, and on uh, on these uh, like stand-up shows, these audience withs, uh, she also used to play the piano in those. Oh. Um, and a good friend of mine was her PA and now helps to run the Victoria Wood Foundation. Oh, wow. Um, and the Victoria... Uh, Victoria Wood died uh, quite a few years ago now, um, and she died of cancer. And the Victoria Wood Foundation does really, really wonderful work. So please do uh, go and have a look at them. This is a little bit of a song by Victoria Wood. It's her playing the piano and singing. Probably her most famous song, Let's Do It. Question time. Barry cringed in fear and dread as Frida grabbed his tie and said, Let's do it, let's do it, do it while the mood is right. I'm feeling appealing, I really got an appetite. I'm on fire with desire, I could handle half the tennis in a male voice choir. Let's do it, let's do it tonight. So Back there, you mentioned that you thought that Les Dawson may have not been a very good piano player, which I, I, I'm, I'm going to contest that because I think you have to be pretty fucking amazing to be able to play things badly. I mean, well, you, you don't. I mean, well, <laughs> <laughs> what I mean is to do it for in a comic. Okay, I challenge you, David Timms, to play a song like um, uh, My Way. By uh, Paul Anka, I think Paul Paul Anka, Frank okay. Sinatra. Yeah, Frank Sinatra. Yeah, Frank Sinatra, yeah. my way. Uh, we'll do it. In, we'll do it in Les Dawson style. I'll sing it. You play it. Okay. Is that okay? That key? Yeah, that sounds okay. good to me. Yeah. Good. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain, my friends. I'll say it clear. I'll state my case 
of which I'm certain I've lived a life that's full I've traveled each and every highway But more, much more than this I did it my Comedy song contest time. It's a competition. Phil. It's a contest here on Songs of the Key of Laugh. If you guys want to join in on the fun of the comedy song competition contest, ah, uh, it is a competition. <laughs> it's a contest, and you want to enter a song, uh, send your songs to Songs in the Key of Laugh at gmail.com. This week's entry is by John Witcher, and it is Venus. Indiana, it is so great. We have so much fun in our Hoosier state. The Indy 500, the cars and the pits. The girls, they all have really big hair. I went to the race and I had so much fun. We left and we drank till the race was done. I met a girl and her name was Venus. She took off her pants and she had a tattoo. After the race, we had more fun. I thought that Venus would be a home run. I took her home and we rode in my truck. It turns out that Venus, she loves to dance. Venus. 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 She asked me what I thought of the race. I said, why don't you sit on my couch? The moral of the story is easy to see. Venus, she took all my money from me. Desert, Desert Island Dicks. It's our improv musical that we've been we've been struggling to. I don't know if we've been struggling, but we were merrily writing. No, we have been struggling. Improvising a musical every week. We open a dictionary, put our finger down on a word, and then improvise a song as a section of the musical. So far, we've got David and Phil, our characters. How do we come up with those names? I, I know, know, right? Crazy. Uh, they're marooned on a uh, after a monsoon on a desert island. They start to eat each other. They're saved by a ghost ship where they have to audition for the stage show on a ghost ship <laughs> why not yeah why not pirate and, panto but, and on the other side of the earth on across the water is um david's fiance sumo yes uh who's also a sumo wrestler and her evil dad who's trying to stop david getting married uh to sumo because he wants phil to marry sumo so that's, that's where we're at that, that's the plot we've got two more episodes and somehow this. we'll have to wrap it all up yeah. at the end so let's see how we can wrap this up okay Here, here's the dictionary you can hear it I'm going to put my, open it up at a random page. Okay. Put my finger down and you're going to have hardship. Hardship. Okay. So, so we're going quite dramatic here, Phil. Is well, that they're right? on a ship and there's a hardship. So there's a lot to play with. Okay. I say go power. Oh, yeah. La, 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 la. La, 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 la. Ha la 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 Said the captain of the ship You must go back to where you came from You must find the love of your life And take her hand as your wife 
What's her name, David? Her name is Sumo. She is my Blumo. I love her Bum Bum, and she loves my Tum Tum. You must marry her. Must marry Sumo. What do you think of that, Phil? Yeah, I think he should do it, or else he's gonna lose it. He better go back to that bitch son to <laughs> Keep going. Oh, you're right. I'll drive this ghost ship into the night. I'll deliver you up to her eyes and her face and her hands. You'll land on the land. Let's sumo marry David. Or my name's not Captain Bingerboard. <laughs> And the sea sailed, David and Phil, as a pirate's ghost ship delivers them back to the land of Weasel, where his, the king awaits with his daughter, Sumo. Sumo. I did say bitch, though. <laughs> If you like contests and you write songs, you're going to love our contest because it's a songwriting contest. It's a contest where you can put your song in the contest. It's the Songs in the Key of Laugh Comedy Song Contest. It's not a competition. It's a contest. Contest, contest, contest. Send your songs into songs the key of laugh at gmail.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Each week we interview another musical comedian. Um, this week's guest is not only a dear personal friend of mine, he's a fantastic musician. He's a BBC Radio Award winner with his folk band, The Youngins, and he's a fantastic comedian. His name is David, David Eagle. Eagle. The guest on today's show guest. is someone you might know. You and if you don't, that's your own fault, but you'll know them soon. Oh, boy, you will. This jingle has been personalized uh-huh. for a guest that we hope it's David Eagle, David Eagle, the new comedian of the year, Leicester Square 2019, the Bath Comedy Festival 2019, Nottingham Comedy Festival 2018, member of three-time BBC Two folk award-winning band, The Youngins, and he's here today on Songs in the Key of Laugh. I'm so excited. Hello, David. Hello. Is Hi, it, Dave. I'm nice just checking. Is this just insert name here, isn't it? 
Exactly. It is, yeah, I it did is. not agree to be inserted anywhere. You know, <laughs> I'm gonna have to charge extra for that. It's, it's, it's only your name we insert. Oh, David, good, so, good. Yeah, yeah. Everything else. No, I am a bit everything disappointed. Else, everything else is a bonus. Uh, thank you. We're already in. You <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't know it. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't feel anything. Uh, well, enough of the. You, uh, David, you began. You, you began performing stand-up comedy in 2018. That's not that long ago. Uh, do no. you do you think it was your comedy that Three, caused four the, years now? Yeah. Was it your comedy that caused the uh, the coronavirus? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what we're that's the answer we're all trying to get to. Starting light. Um, <laughs> <laughs> starting very well, it's, it's very strange. Fortunately, I was in a position where at least some people knew who I was and wanted to actually book me for online gigs and stuff like that. Because otherwise, if it had been the following year, mm. um, or it had been the following year that I'd started, goodness knows what would have happened because. I, might, I imagine it would have put a lot of people off. I mean, I'm sure it would have renewed a lot of people, but what would have probably happened was I'd have started and then gone, oh, maybe I wasn't any good, and then that might have been the end of it. So it came, didn't come at a good time, but it came at a better time than it could have possibly come. But you weren't maybe looking for such a long, involved answer. <laughs> no, you were just talking. That was, it wasn't really a question, probably. Well, it was, it was more of a joke, but to be honest, uh, yeah, I, exactly. I, what, I was, what I was looking at, I'm looking at, you've had some um, peer reviews, and I say peers, you say, if you had some industry reviews, Original D. Hunter called you a stand-up rookie phenomenon, genuine stand-up rookie phenomenon, and the wonderful, most one of the most talented musical comedians in the world, uh, bar none, uh, Boothby Graffo, had called you the future of stand-up comedy. I, his quote was, just seen the future of stand-up comedy, and his name is David Eagle. Mm, I remember so, reading that and then thinking, I wasn't even on the bill that night, but I, I didn't bother <laughs> to correct him. No, because he, he thought it was David Gleagle, the, um, <laughs> the harmonica player. <laughs> he does yeah. everything with jazz hands and extra glee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, David. We're back to, we're back to bums again. That's how he plays it. <laughs> David, um, we, I've, I've now had the immense pleasure of seeing you on stage and actually playing with you as well it, it was so so much fun when you came and joined our cray cray cabaret i'd like to go right back dun, to don't know i'm going dun, to do it i know go, go right 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 back <laughs> when did you start playing the musical instruments you play and what what do you play what's your first instrument well i play my first instrument, I suppose, is probably piano. Well, it's actually keyboard, because when I was uh, three or something like that, I uh, just someone got me a little keyboard and I just started playing that and realised that I just I sort of took to it naturally. Uh, took to it like a duck to playing a keyboard. Uh, it was quite, no, it was quite a, sort of a, a moment for me, because it was like, oh, brilliant, things start to make sense now. Because I suppose I, one thing I maybe should mention is being blind, uh, that my world wasn't at all visual, obviously. Mm. And so I suddenly found that, you know, music was a quite a nice way of expressing things because, you know, you can you can you can hear all of that and there's I'm sort of not out of the loop or anything like that. So I started playing the keyboard. The key unfortunately my, my parents got me keyboard lessons rather than piano lessons, primarily because we didn't have a piano. But I wish we'd have I'd have learned how to play the piano because the piano when you, you play it properly, right, your left hand will move all over the place just as much as the right hand. With a keyboard it's not because you just plonk your hands down on the chords. 
and then it's, you're meant to just put like a keyboard rhythm on. So you don't have to do anything with your left hand because you just plonk down on the chords and it'll go <laughs> and it'll do all that for you. So it means that my left hand is shockingly bad, unfortunately. And then when I got into folk music, I uh, needed something a lot more portable than a piano um, or carting around a keyboard. So I uh, took to playing the accordion. Right. Amazing. Which has got a very different left hand, doesn't it? Yes. Accordion. Yes. That's just, that's a, that's just buttons. Yeah. Mm, mm. But when you press the button on on the, because um, I don't know that much about the accordion, when you press the button on the accordion, does that give you a chord when you pull it? Up? Yeah. So yeah. there is. It goes up. So you've got like the bass notes, and then above that, you've got your major and your minor and your diminished and your augmented and all of that. Yeah. And when you pull when you pull it out and push it in, is that is that the same chord or different chord? Are we still talking about the accordion? Yeah. Uh, no, it is. It is. With the melodion, uh, there are certain types of a melodion. I, can't, I think it might be the French one. I can't remember. But uh, where there's the English and the French one, and one of them is, is a different chord or different notes, depending on whether you pull out or push in. Right. So that's, argue, that's doubly confusing. Isn't that like a chromatic harmonica as well? Don't, isn't that true? You push a little Oh, yeah. That's how yeah, harmonicas yeah, yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, um, I, I play the accordion very badly and I find it a very difficult instrument to to play. I think it uh, <clears throat> trying to play the notes and push the air out at the same at the same time is something that, that you really got to put the hours in to do. But, but you obviously have um, <clears throat> now, David, I've, I've always been fascinated um, by some some blind musicians like uh, Stevie Wonder and Ray Charles. And after playing some of their music, I've. I realise that a lot of their um, a lot of their pieces are in quite weird keys, like uh, D flat and G flat. And I'm thinking, is that is it? Does it help um, as a reference to have the two black notes and then the three black notes? Is that something that 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 as as a blind pianist you you use? I suppose it is, but the thing is, because I've been playing the piano for so long. I don't really think of it, if you know what I mean. But yeah, I of definitely course. use it as ref. I definitely use it as reference point. Um, you know, like that's yes, that's how I would use. That's how I'd know that I was on a, in a, on a C or whatever I would be in because I would feel for the notes. But obviously, when you're then playing, you're not necessarily doing that. Or if you are, you're doing it very quickly. Yeah, um, of course. It's not like I'm always constantly going, bloody, where, where are the notes? Where are the notes? Hang <laughs> on! <laughs> or anything like that. Do you, ever, do you ever step away from the piano and you're not able to find it? And just go, oh, where's the piano? Where's the piano? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. That that's, another, that's the other advantage of playing the piano above the keyboard. <laughs> you can lose a keyboard quicker. <laughs> so you've been, so you, were, you started playing um, the keyboard when you were three. That was your first introduction to it, um, do, but you're you're. I think you could give that you could give a keyboard to any child, and they might not have the natural rhythmic uh, ability. Um, the natural, you you're you're a singer as well, so you've got a natural uh, understanding of of notes, so you can hear hear music uh, naturally. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something you had to learn. Um, no, yeah. So is that yeah, is that is, is that something that you is that something you developed over time or is that or is that something that was being innate to your I'm I'm kind of curious now that I'm asking a question I'm even more interested than I was at the beginning of the question <laughs> to know what the question to know what the question is. <laughs> is is it nature or nurture is it nature or nurture um well, I think it's probably both but I think it's definitely there's definitely the the nature element to start with because clearly some people will pick it up and they'll just bash it and it and it's 
doesn't really sound like anything, whereas I seemingly could play. But obviously, I can't play. I could play a lot better now than I could when I was three, because obviously I've had the practice well, and yeah, just the experience. <laughs> not not as but not as good as I could play when I was seven, though. That was a rip. I was a Nadia of my uh, of my playing. Uh, but uh, oh yeah, I haven't played with Nadia for a while, but she was absolutely brilliant, Phil. Uh, yeah, she got into gymnastics though, so it's <laughs> we went different ways. <laughs> well, she could go anywhere she wanted. Uh, she was very supple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I've seen your. Gymnastics, and you know, there's this, you're not that strong. Not, you're not that strong on the, on the parallel bars. To well, us. well, there was. It was me, Nadia, and Jim, Mister Nastics, and uh, he became an upholsterer. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we answered the question: nature versus nurture. I, uh, yeah. So then, obviously, I've learned to uh, get better through that. But I find a lot of the time is. That, as I was saying, with my frustrations with the left hand, I can move it a lot faster now. But uh, the I, I can't. My brain works better than my fingers do. So my brain is going, oh, we could do this. We could go. And then my fingers are going, uh, you can go if you want. Uh, you know, it's that kind of thing. But sometimes I think there is um, a thing that if you zone out or if you've, it's kind of like, it's a willpower, an effortless willpower thing. I don't quite know what it is. There's some sort of, I'm sure there's some psychologist or something who could maybe attest to this or maybe say you're talking absolute nonsense. But sometimes your brain thinks, oh, I'll do this. And then your fingers haven't got the time to realize that you can't physically do that. If you know what I mean. Sure. I, I, I We're talking about playing is. still. Yes, of no, course. No, yes. There, the, there was a, um, the quite famous uh, philosopher Alan Watts uh, mm. d- developed this idea of the, what, what's it called? The, um, the, the law of reversed effort. Uh, and the law of reversed effort, sort of a 50s, 60s, 70s concept, is that the more more you relax the more you try to do something the, the less likely you are to achieve it and that mm. it takes a certain amount of zen. yeah because you're overthinking it, it, stuff you, yeah and you never you actually are thinking about how to do the thing instead of just thinking about the thing therefore if you just let your mind concentrate on the thing it's more likely to achieve it than if you worry about all the things surrounding the thing if that makes well sense. that's right and that's the same with comedy i find as well the, the gigs where you're just in the moment are yes. so much better than the ones where you're going... You know, I have this... I shouldn't really probably admit this, but, you know, this idea of, like, sometimes you go to a gig and you go, well, the audience clearly hate you, and that's before I've even stepped onto the stage. Not in a kind of... I mean, I make it sound very kind of... Sort of like, a, like a depressive or something, they're going to make a film about it, but just in that kind of way that I'm not feeling quite... Uh, right, you know, not feeling like I'm fully in zone. Yes. But then there are other gigs where, or then might go, I might go on stage though, and immediately the first thing works so well, and you go, oh no, I'm fully in tandem with the audience here. Um, or there'll be other moments where I just go, oh, I'm just so excited to get on because I've got, I know my opening line because I've got something just happened now, and I'm, that'll go down really well, and it does. And then you kind of everything you then do works, and then what happens is you then just try saying stuff that you've never said before. So I find that I then improvise a lot more. I'll go, oh, I've got this new bit that I've never tried, but I'll do that because everything else is working. And if it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. And then that bit will work and it'll just continue to work and work more and more. And yeah, there's, I found that as well when I'm doing like a new material thing, that the first time that I do it, often it'll work quite well because I'm kind of just saying the words and, and my brain's just going, well, we've got to work. We've got to do this. This has got to work, hasn't it? It's got to work. Otherwise, you're going to just be floundering. And so it'll work. But then the second time, when I, I'll try and recreate the magic 
and sometimes it doesn't work because I'm going, you've got to get to that point where they laughed really loudly. Um, whereas I wasn't at the time because I wasn't expecting anything. I would, I would have been hopeful if there was a little titter in the audience. But then when they really laughed. So that's the thing. It's, yeah, it's trying to, it's trying to get out of your own way. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Mm. When, I mean, people, you see... People like, Actually, to give to give you a case in point, while I was talking there, I was going, oh, come on, David, hurry this up. This isn't... So that, <laughs> <laughs> and you're now, oh, now trying to get out of it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think, I think okay, so this is... Uh, uh, correct me if I'm... I don't... Um, without appearing condescending about it, we, what two things that would strike me for being a blind musical comedian, uh, not just being a blind comedian, but a blind musical comedian is that you, when, you, when I arrive at a gig, I tend to read an audience. So I have a look around. I see who's there. Mm. I get I get a really good idea. There's an old guy in the front. There's this, this, this. You, so you, you don't have that. You don't have that working for you unless your um, hearing skills have improved to a point where you can pick out individual things. Mm. But but more importantly, when you're on stage, I find my personal – when I've watched a few times I've watched you is – the natural instinct for an audience is to think this man is brave because you're a blind person and all the stuff that goes behind being on stage is already people see as brave. And then you've just upped the ante because you're not only are you uh, appearing on stage, but you've taken your, your, you've got a, an obvious disability. Uh, and then, and then for me as a comedian, I think on top of that, they, the thing they don't realize you've had to get yourself to the gig. You've had to carry your, to na- navigate trains, planes and automobiles and get yourself to the gig and set up and do all that as well. Um, and then on top of it, you have to think of your material and, brave enough to go like you just said go off on tangents in the middle of the gig do you think that your disability has made you stronger and more brave as a performer hmm i don't i'm not sure because without having the comparison it's difficult to know because there are a lot of people who do brave things in comedy and i mean like artistically brave or you know, the, whatever. Um, oh, thank you. I mean, yeah. Well, I was, I was thinking of, I was thinking of you because obviously you've done all sorts of different types of uh, comedy, and haven't just said, "Oh, they liked that the last time, therefore I'll do this." You know, you know, I'll do, I'll do a musical piece, I'll, a concept piece. I'll be a character. I'll now do a, a piece of, of real comedy about myself. You know, so there are a lot of people making brave decisions um, artistically. I don't know. I mean, I think I probably needed to have had a lot of staying power. There are actually the problem. The one thing that I, I do find is that thing what you're saying about reading the audience, about going on and seeing that someone, you know, if you're a compare of a gig, you'll say, oh, this person's got their arm folded, and then you can have a go at them. You could do whatever. I mean, you, you can see someone's left so you can make a little joke about someone leaving or oh, what's going on there or oh, the couple here don't seem to be you, you, whatever it is you can start yeah. making comments about whereas I can't I mean I can sometimes because sometimes it'll happen in my line of vision I've got a tiny bit of vision so I can see a tiny bit but not really I wouldn't be able to see enough but sometimes I mean I can use that to my advantage sometimes like for instance you know like a, a light came on in a gig it just the whole lights just came on and um and so obviously I was able to make a thing about you know ooh, I've seen the light you know the, the whole thing about it, it, that has just that has just happened hasn't it it's not like I've just suddenly got my sight back or you know I, I, is this happening because of a technical problem I mean because I don't know obviously being blind there could be someone like having a heart attack in the audience right now and they could be like medics around him and everybody else is really respectful and I'm just going ah this is funny isn't it you know or you know like there was a time in a gig where someone dropped a glass and I had to kind of say, 
He said, oh, you all right? And I immediately just responded to it. And I was like, oh, sorry. I just thought I had to check because, you know, like normal, most comedians maybe wouldn't mention that. But I don't know if it's just like, you know, someone dropping a glass or if it's like a terrorist threat or something. And everybody else is going, <laughs> get off the stage, you absolute idiot. You know, and I'm like, oh, no, I must deliver this pun. Uh, <laughs> I'll defeat I'll defeat terrorism with, with knob gags. Yeah. <laughs> well, they say laughter is the best medicine. So, well, yeah, they do. Um, uh, I'd I'd really like to talk about um to talk about the younguns and the uh, and sea shanties. Sea shanties have just come back in such a big way, um, yeah. and um and I, I don't know if if you're I've been singing sea shanties for for quite a long time with lots and lots of different groups and stuff, and uh and it just took one person on TikTok to make them real popular and get them to number one. I don't know how you felt about that, but... Um, well, uh, <laughs> the Young'uns, for those of you who don't know, is the name of my folk band, a terribly named folk band given to us because when we were 17, we stumbled across our local folk club in a pub. We were just in a pub, just having a nice, quiet, illegal drink. And then all of a sudden, we just heard this man just get up and yelp. And we thought, what the bloody hell is he doing? And then all of a sudden, he launches into this song. And uh, we didn't know it at the time, and it was a sea shanty. And we also didn't know we were stumbled into a folk club, just a place where ordinary people go to uh, sing songs about, well, sea, sea shanties or to sing songs about local history and heritage and all sorts of things. Wait, 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 we, wait, 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 wait. You, you just said that's just a normal pub. I, yeah. I don't. In my experience living in London, it's just you just don't walk into a London pub and there's people singing. Sea well, it was shanties. just like so. You're, you're, it was you, just you, the back room was, of a pub, so we this, didn't. But this was in Hartlepool, in Stockton. Yeah, in we Stockton, didn't. So. We didn't know. But this, I mean, the same thing happens in Hartlepool as well. We didn't know this was happening. We went to the back room of a pub because the other bit was quite crowded, and there was right. a a bit that wasn't ah. quite as crowded, and so we just sat there in the ah. in the room. And at that point, it was quiet. And then all of a sudden, someone comes in. Some other people come in, and we don't think anything of it because we're just at the back of this room. And then all of a sudden. It's, Whatever it is, people are going. Are you a real folk singer? Because you are parodying your own genre. Going, but you know, it's that. I'm trying to recreate what it sounded like at the time because I can't remember what the words were or anything right. like that. I, I know like, you've got your producer now frantically going, do we have to uh, register this? Is this some sort of <laughs> copyright <laughs> music? And it was like that. And we looked around and we thought, well, clearly he's going to be, out, you know, the landlord's going to escort this guy out because, well, he's creating an absolute ruckus but rather than that everybody else was suddenly just launched in and just was like with a big yell and just started launching wow. in and it got to the end of this thing and then they went oh one of our favourite sea shanties there welcome along to the folk club and the reason we didn't think it was an organised thing was because there was no microphone and that's right. what we loved about the folk scene here we are in a room where anyone could just get up and start singing. And then wow. everyone goes around the room and starts singing. And people are singing songs often in their own accents. They're singing about things that we didn't know you could sing about. They're singing about beer. They're singing about uh, love, but from a real kind of grit, in a real sort of gritty way. Or oh, a bit of, that's when uh, the pirate pegged me. <laughs> yeah, there's songs of smut. There are long, there are long ballads, like these sprawling ballads that are like about weird things, like, you know, like songs of war, murder and incest I often say when you go to a folk club you can kind of play a bit of folk bingo and it's like oh we've had the song about war what? we've had the song about murder <laughs> we've had the song about incest and you've really hit the gamut if you've, you know, if you've got all three um, well you know what I say <clears> about <throat> incest to each their own 
Thank you. And um, and uh, yeah, Phil did say, if you just try and get incest in, David, I will do that joke. <laughs> Uh, he's done it with all the comedians, uh, but no one else is bitten. Uh, so that was the thing. So th- we, we came back week after week to listen to this, and then people called us the young'uns because we were the, the youngest there by about 30 or 40 years. Right. Um, so anyway, so that was a sea shanty, our first time that we'd heard a sea shanty. So we just kept going back week after week, as I so said. So did you go home and, and go, guys, let's write a sea shanty and go back? Or how, uh, how, how long did you have to go there before you, you got up the nerve to get up and sing one yourselves? Well, it was, I mean, I don't know how long it was, but we essentially, after, I think it was a few months, someone said, oh, are the young'uns going to give us a song? And uh, we basically did, yeah, we did some kind of sea shanty. Lovely. And, uh, and then... We just kept going back and learning other songs and learning other songs. It's not just sea shanties. We sing all sorts of songs now. We write our own songs about real people, real people who do extraordinary things that we think their work needs to be celebrated. But at the time, it was very much related to drinking a lot, singing a lot, and just absolutely loving it. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't that we were any good. It was just that we enjoyed it and we became better as a band. We were just three friends who just stumbled up, uh, across this. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so yeah, it's, we, and now we gig, you know, we get, we do this for a living. This is what we've so done for a living. You've, you've written a, you've written a, a, an international hit in the, in the, in the form of a, a, a theatrical piece, musical theatrical piece called The Ballad of Johnny Longstaff. Is that my getting that Yeah, right? that's right. A, 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 which uh, is based on a true story about a guy that goes off to fight uh, the fascists in Spain. Is that right? He fights against fascism in Spain. He also stands at the fascism at Cable Street and he does all of this at the age of 15, 16, 17. Um, you know, he's, he's lived his life before he's turned 20, essentially. But fortunately, he does go on and... Uh, um, to fight in the Second World War, but he's he's not a fighter. This is the thing. He's he's not a story of a fighter. You know, there's a lot of war, but that's he want he did it for peace, and then no. eventually he came back home and became a civil in, servant and lived incest, an ordinary life. Incest came back home, just did some incest. <laughs> <laughs> so no, we get you not, to write the program not, notes. Sea <laughs> shanties, the though. The <laughs> but yeah, we've been doing this for a living, and then you know, singing the, all the sea shanties and stuff like that, and then. You know, people wanted to hear it, of course, but it just sort of felt like we were a very niche thing. And then we go into this period of lockdown where we can't gig anymore. So that throws you into a bit of an existential crisis anyway. And then, all of a sudden, on something called TikTok, which I'd never heard of, all of a sudden, sea shanties becomes the most popular thing. And I go, this is, it's brilliant, absolutely brilliant, but it's also a bit of like a weird bad dream, like a nightmare, you know, where you, you can't go out of the house and gig, and all of a sudden, everybody in the world wants to hear the thing that you've been doing for the last 15 years. Mm. It's like, yeah, but a bit was, of an was odd that, time. Was, was that not good for you, though? Did you not get on that? on that trend and well the weird TikTok. thing is we couldn't meet at that point because we weren't <laughs> we were in lockdown so the three of us couldn't even get together to meet so right. it just sort of felt like we were very much locked out of this thing and the right. cruel joke was it's something like goes and now the thing that you've always done is going to become the most sought after popular thing and you see yes. this postman He's going to be number one, but uh, you know, and it's like. But having said that, it was absolutely, it was absolutely brilliant. There is always a part of you that's going, oh bloody hell! But actually, it was so wonderful to see, and it was so wonderful for people to then upload their own sea shanties and 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 
join in with other people on TikTok. And I think it just brought everyone together over lockdown. I think a lot of people found solace in it. And that's so great because that's something that we found solace in it a long time ago. But it's great that other people did. So I'm being, you know, flippantly bitter. But actually, uh, it was a great thing. I, th- I think it's really great that it's made it so widely known. You know, it's really brought sea shanties to the forefront of music again. Yeah. And um, when when I teach, I've got I had children coming up to me singing the Wellerman, and mm. I didn't you know I didn't want to go into what all of the lyrics are about because they talk about yeah, you know yeah. tongue, tonguing tonguing the whales and uh, when all the tonguing is done, we'll take our leave and go. Um, <laughs> and it's like well, well, yes, it's a really really lovely jolly jolly. Song. Let's let's kill all the whales. Yeah, well, the Juice Pigs did a couple of parodies of she's sea shanties. We had one called the Ballad of Barnacle Bill, and and the and the Island of the Fisherman Strippers, which was <laughs> which was an island of fishermen with no women wear, so they had to learn to pole dance to amuse themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and Barnacle yeah, Bill Barnacle Bill was quite good at that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. It sounds like I'm mocking sea shanties, but I am. No, actually, I was thinking, <laughs> why? Because I think a lot of people might go, well, wh- why is it good that sea shanties? And so I suppose it's not just the sea shanty element. It's the, it's the whole communal singing thing. It's the fact that sea, yes. and sea shanties are so simple so that people, yes. anyone can pick them up. So, yes. and also there are songs of teamwork. There are songs of everyone working together to do one job and, and, and the power of song to pull people through when people spirits are down and the healing yes. power of music and also people on ships would come from all over the world often couldn't speak the same language uh, as each other but they would be able to communicate through song because they'd go oh when i hear this bit this is when i pull the uh, the rope or oh i've got a verse in my language and people would swap these songs and swap these stories and, and come together and singing was the one way that people would bond. So it's kind of like in, in, in a world that was fragmented or feels fragmented at times, I felt like this was like a, a big, powerful, uniting force that people from all over the world were singing these sea shanties. Uh, it was like it brought the best out of people and, on, and what doing things online can do as well. Mm. I, I've, got, I've got a couple of questions about it. When you writing your sea shanties, or when you're writing the ballad of Johnny Longstaff? Yeah, I mean, we don't really write sea shanties. I don't want anyone thinking that our band is like we're not pretending we're pirates or we're not or sailors <laughs> or anything like that. Uh, no, but but, what, but but when you're writing these original, you're writing original songs mm. and original music. Uh, who, who? How do the lyrics develop? And 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 do, do you think that writing that sort of stuff and writing those lyrics? has helped you write comedy your musical comedy songs well maybe but the uh, Sean in the band is the lyricist essentially and that's how his mind works it's, it's, and he'll write stuff especially when it's the more serious subjects right. I've written a couple of songs uh, for the band but they are more comic in tone they come from a place of seriousness so for instance there's a song that i have which is about a neo-nazi festival in in germany that was thwarted in absolute style by the local villagers um there was a rule that you couldn't bring your own beer or alcohol onto the site and so the local community decided to club together and basically buy up all of the alcohol and the beer in the shops so that when the festival goes turned up there was no beer to be had and it turns out that neo-nazi rock music isn't really particularly palatable without lots of drink and so (laughs) 
they all buggered off home and uh, the festival was an absolute damp squib. So I've got a song called The Day We Drank the Nazis Out of Town. Ooh, so obviously like it. it comes from a serious place, but it's a, it's essentially it's a comedy song with, with lines like, uh, well, it was Heil, 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 up and down the shopping aisle, but then the news <laughs> began to spread. You know, so we've got like... Um, <laughs> But yeah, it always intrigues me that it's uh, it's always you always hear of like Nazi rock or Nazi rap or something like that, and neo-Nazi rock and rap. You never like hear of neo-Nazi light jazz. <laughs> you know, like, could yeah. you point me what in the direction like? of the neo-Nazi easy listening section? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> oh well, You've got something similar. He's gone there. <laughs> oh Himmler. What a guy, what a dancer. He danced, he danced, tippity tap, we'll get die all night. Introducing <laughs> Phil Nickel, musician, comedian with a neo Nazi bent. He'll so have you rolling in the Hiles. <laughs> So I know I know this uh, maybe this is because I know you personally, but also to, I think it, uh, it's imbued in your comedy as you are a very uh, left wing uh, thinker. And I is is that something? I mean, you're. I, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of your uh, politics in total, but uh, is is that something that comes from the the sea shanty folk club scene, or is that what? something that is that something you've been raised with? Well. Okay, well, the first thing with a folk scene is um, it, it's difficult to say whether it's left or right or for whatever those whatever one use those words to mean as such. But um, but there was a thing where Nick Griffin, formerly of the yes. BNP, oh, British yeah. National Party, he yep. advised people um, to embrace folk clubs because he said there is this whole place where people are singing English music. This is our, this is music that we, we have, you know. Uh, right. And the idea was, it wasn't about the music, it was about if you go to folk clubs, there are people who sing English songs. So that must mean they like English things and they want things to stay as they are because it's traditional English songs. And so people would say, if you want to recruit, get yourself to the folk clubs and then you can recruit for... You know, the BMP at the folk clubs. I don't think it ever really happened. You know, I don't think there was loads of uh, fascists turning up at Morris dancing <laughs> conventions. <laughs> fascists with bells on. Uh. <laughs> well, I, I, I remember this as a sort of a sideline. I was in uh, Bangkok, of all places, and I was look. I had a night off, and I was looking for something really interesting to do. And I saw that there was a place that was, an, it was a, a traditional Thai folk music which mm. I don't really even know what that would be. But it was like it was like in the spirit of 60s, Dylan, blah, 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 and it's a, but in Thai, and it's a, it's a monthly meet, and they meet in the old, uh, uh, an old Nazi club, which has got like Nazi paraphernalia. So they basically this group, this group of folk artists had taken over this place. But instead of changing the, the decor of the place, they've kept all the original, they got medals, and they kind of, it's kind of almost the, the feel of it is to go into this place, which I thought, like sounded weird and and uh, funny and and odd and and it would just be like a really mind blowing experience and I actually didn't never was able to find the place I took a taxi out to it and it didn't seem to exist and the taxi drivers of course weren't much help they just drove me around and cost me a lot of money but I, <laughs> I, I but part of it was I think I always thought folk I always think of folk as being like. Um, Woody Guthrie, you know, this machine kills fascists. I always mm. think of American folk, the whole generations of, of for up to Neil Young and the modern folk artists, they're all very anti, anti, anti-fa, very anti-fascist, aren't they? 
Yeah. And I think the, uh, well, I mean, that, that whole movement didn't really work, you know, Nick Griffin's idea, obviously. And the other thing was there was a movement that then rose up, folk against fascism, where all sorts of folk singers basically said, no, we don't agree with this. And, you know, you're not welcome if that's what you're thinking it is. Um, because... We sing, a lot of people sing English songs. There's a great, and his name completely escapes me now, which is annoying, but uh, um, a Welsh uh, musician who says, we don't sing these folk songs, our our folk songs, as in Welsh folk songs, uh, because we think they're better than yours. We sing them because we want to share them with you. You know, that's that's why we sing English songs. I don't go... If I go in and sing an English song, um, you know, I, I don't go, oh, yeah, I'm singing this because it's better than a song from anywhere else in Britain or anywhere else in the world. It's because th- it's easier for me to learn it because I speak this language. It would be a bit of a weird bit of appropriation if I... I mean, it'd be fine, to be honest, but it'd be if, if I was like, oh, I'm going to sing... Chinese songs or something like that. I would have to really change the way that I wanted to... I'd have to learn the language, I'd have to do all this. You know, I'd rather hear it from the authentically, you know. So that's the reason we, we sing the songs. I think that's a, such a great quote. As for being left-wing, I mean, it's so, it's so strange. I mean, really, I just feel that uh, people should be nice to each other and that uh, people should be more welcoming to each other and that there is a system of doing things that favours the majority rather than the small few, uh, which it's odd how that seems to be kind of, like, to me, it seems odd that that seems to be like a thing that's like, oh, oh, oh that's a bit out there, isn't it? It's like, well, I would like as many people as possibly, possible to be happy. I'd like people's quality of life to be better. And I'd like the system to work for as many people as possible. And I'd like people not to be so horrible to, to other people. Um, I don't know. And then I think that's the great thing. I think once you come from a mindset of that, you go and go, well, then what policies can help with that? But it, it very much seems like, Certain people in our, our our whole current government setup doesn't seem to be to, to work like that, um, you know. And it and it's getting rid of all sorts. It's uh, we've got a minute, you know, our minister of culture who seems to be hell bent on getting rid of a big part of our culture. You know, it's. it's I don't strange. think she really even understands it. That woman, I don't think she's. Like well, her so idea of what literature, what art is, what music is, is obviously not the same as everyone else, and that's fine. But I we should. I don't think she has any idea. We should embrace all these cultures, you know, rather than. And it does seem strange. I mean, there's clearly like a, a, a bias there when something like G, um, GB News comes out and she's saying on Twitter, "Oh, this is an exciting new chapter," but then she's trying to, you know, get rid of Channel Four essentially, or to get rid of. Uh, of the way that it, it works, and to get rid of the BBC, really, is, a, is an ultimate aim. So, I don't know, it feels to me like it's not just a case of being left-wing and right-wing, it just feels like it's a big, at the moment, there seems to be just a war on on everything, from culture to niceness, and I feel that that's very damaging. So, that's why I'd implore people not to vote for these current uh, brigade. <laughs> I don't think well, it makes me massively left-wing, though, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's... Good timing for that because it's it's the elections. Uh, the oh, elections then this is going to make all the difference. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So, this is going to push people this over. This, yeah. this push people over the edge. Um, there's, mean, there's a. What we really need then is uh, a little bit of uh, reverb on the voice or something, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> Give more authority. <laughs> <laughs> there's there's a there's a um, an artist called Beans on Toast. Oh yeah, Beans yeah. To- yeah. Now Beans on Toast, I think. Uh, so if you don't know who uh, he is, listeners, he goes around all of the festivals and has done for many many years. Um, and I, it, it's very very left wing um, political 
uh, folk music and but with with a comedic twist and what he does is he just makes you feel like the world should be slightly better which is effectively exactly what you've just said mm. your political stance is um and uh the, the, the way beans on toast does it is is so so beautiful but also the way that you tell uh do these uh tell tell us your political views as well david is is wonderful and in some cases um with a couple of your songs is un- unreasonably offensive uh which which i'm talking about um uh which song am i talking about david uh are you thinking of killing my dog for certain i think that's one of them <laughs> <laughs> <Have you> seen... <laughs> yeah uh, yeah um, there's a few titles that i like you got one yeah. that's uh, what a cunt is that one what a cunt ah. I see. Yes. Are you thinking of? Oh, sorry. Oh, it's quite funny that I didn't think of that as offensive. Ah, oh, yes. Oh, what a cunt! <laughs> hey, I assume you're thinking of the, the the song about the dog. I assume. Oh no. Uh, yes, I, I'm, th- I'm thinking of the song "What a Cunt." Uh, uh, I mean, it's not. Is it called "What a Cunt"? What is the song? Well, you, you Maybe know it's, it's your it, title. Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? A to- isn't it? That's the chorus. I mean, in Tory, fairness, Tory, don't be a Tory cunt or something like that. Well, isn't it? it's. I think it's. It's more against no, no, no. It's uh, more uh, against Lawrence Fox and Nigel Farage and right. people like that yes. and um, extremists. Like I never like anyone who want who. I mean, I, I don't disagree with it, but anyone who maybe classes themselves as a traditional conservative voter, I'm not kind of just going, "Hey, I can't." <laughs> like it's not that. It's yeah. the it's the more egregious, aggressive form of let's call it the right or. Of hatred, um, like for instance, I will just go through the words. I, th- I sing, uh, uh, "You say we're oversensitive, we're snowflakes, and we're walk." That's the reason, actually, because there are a lot of people, are branded people, as snowflakes and walk, and it's this idea of what the heck does that mean? You know, the idea of free speech. So we, you say we're oversensitive, we're snowflakes, and you're walk. Yet you're the one who got upset when Joe Brand did a joke. Um, you know, we need free speech. You can't say anything these days. You cry, but if the comic's too left wing or brown, then let the bread rolls fly, um, which is obviously. <laughs> yeah. About Nish Kumar, right, so right. it's just a kind of thing of me saying, and we all are guilty of it. We all use arguments to support our own argument, but essentially, it's a case of saying, surely it's his double standards, isn't it? If you're saying, oh yeah, you you walk, you can't do this, but then oh, we should get Joe Brand cancelled. Oh, but the trouble is, it's cancel culture. Uh, oh yeah, you know, you can't say anything, but then someone makes a little joke about Brexit, we'll start pelting him with bread. It's mm. it's. And it goes on to all the stuff. I mean, there was a bit about Piers Morgan because I wrote it on the day that he had um, had uh, stormed out after the weatherman had basically cut, took him to task. Mm. Um, so I say, you know, because he's always banging on about, um, you know, Prince uh, Princess uh, Meghan and, and that kind of thing and yeah. vegan sausage rolls, which I think is just ridiculous and lacks complete perspective in this world. So I said in the song, um, you know, you get ups- I get upset when journalists hack dead children's phones. You get upset when about vegan sausage, uh, princesses and vegan sausage rolls. Your brand does walkie snowflakes. I think perspective, you lack it. Because when a weatherman got too personal, ironically, you couldn't hack it. No. So, <laughs> you know, it's... It's it's all about that. It's about uh, the double standards and, and and that kind of thing, really. And I love uh, that it's I love that it's a big a big sugary spoonful, you know, of of uh, of politics. It's, yeah, it's it's, it's, yeah, ad- and, it's admirable. It's it's and it doesn't and happen also a the, lot. And yeah. also the cunt bit as well is because I'm going. Oh, what a cunt! Oh, what a cunt! Oh, what a country we live in. So right. yeah, it's kind what a country. of. Yes. So it's even though I am clearly saying that it, it kind of infers. Uh, so I th- I don't know what I 
I think it does a bit more than inferring, David. You're calling you're calling him a cunt. <laughs> I was inferring. I say country. You're, you can back reference it. Yeah, no, I, I, that's not what I meant. <laughs> uh, David Eagle, I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd just like to say one more thing. David, David um, for our listeners, when you came and did the... Um, uh, the Cray Cray Cabaret, which is which is a night that we do at the Comedy Store every second Wednesday of the month. Um, that was a quick plug. Um, mm. the, when when you came and did it with us, you came and after your set, which was astounding. It was so good. Um, you then came and sat in with the band, and the conversation that I had with you just before you did come and sit in with the band was, um, David, when uh, when 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 I'm normally musically directing, um, I I nod my head or I will give a, give a hand signal for certain things, and I asked you how you would uh, how you would cope without the visual aid of that. And you said, oh, it, it, it'll be fine. You'll just play everything just very, very, very slightly after, uh, just in case you were to get it wrong. Now, not only did you barely do that at all, you you hit just about every single thing that we were doing in the band. I was astounded by your musical ability that day. And mm. the rest of my band, who, you know, they're all sensational uh, session musicians, mm, were just absolutely taken aback by your ability. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to let you know that we were, yeah, uh. it was such an absolute pleasure to have you sitting in the pit with us that day. Yeah, it was very, it was very fun. And uh, but we had Nick Helmond, didn't we? Who, we did. Uh, for those people, I mean, a lot of people know Nick, but he's a very angry, sweary comedian, and he <laughs> would uh, very comically, but still very intimidatingly, uh, thrust his ire at the band. They were always doing the wrong thing, so that made it extra kind of trepidatious. Because now I was like, <laughs> I was thinking, well, D- David's a nice person; he won't mind if I'm accidentally playing note when they went to stop, but. If Nickel pounce on this, <laughs> yeah, I was more afraid of that. So that's probably why I was doing so well. Is because I didn't want to. Ing- I didn't want to be on the receiving end of a fifteen-minute barrage from Nick, albeit comically, but publicly in front of two hundred people. <laughs> well, I, I'd, I'd love David to hear you play us a song. Would you be yeah. so kind as to do that? I would. I would. Uh, and can what? you make it comical? <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, well, I have with me my accordion here. Ooh, amazing. There we are. Yeah. Uh, hope that passed muster for Nick Helm there. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to sing a little song, which is actually, it's another song that's been inspired by Lawrence Fox and Nigel Farage and their ilk. And uh, because they're always going on about uh, how we must protect our British heritage and identity. We must protect our heritage and identity, uh, defund the BBC and uh, privatise the NHS. Um, But for whatever, for God's sake, we must protect our statues of dead slave owners, of course. So (laughs) the British heritage and identity, and I've got, they're always banging on about heritage and identity, which I thought, well, well, obviously these are words of French origin. And everything we have essentially is borrowed, is taken from other languages. And so it got me inspired to think about what the French might think about this. Maybe the French 
French uh, coming over here. They're invading. And they've said, enough is enough, they say. Or enough is enough, if they're being weirdly philosophical about eggs. <laughs> enough is enough. We are coming back to take back what it was, what, with what is ours. We're going to take what is ours. And that is, of course, our words. And so here's a little song called... Uh, does, it have a, does it have a title? <laughs> I'm not very good with titles. Um, Mr. Okay. I've also... <laughs> I've also just tangled, oh sorry, I've also just tangled my headphone wire right up in the straps of the accordion. So now I can't feasibly play it until I unplug. We're coming back to take, the French say, we're coming to take what's ours, we're coming to reclaim our words. And so here is a song, (laughs) which I can't remember again. I don't know what the title is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, right, here we go. So here's a song all about that. And it gives me a good excuse to uh, do an appalling French accent, which I very much enjoy. Hey, England was a French, and we're taking back our words. Hey, England was a French, and we're taking our words back. There's a boat coming over the channel wide, fueled by anger and national pride. You've been using our words completely for free. That seems a little unfair to me. So I stood for Parliament, we had a vote, and that is why I am steering this boat to England shores, our words to reclaim. If you use them from now on, then you will be paying. A relationship will be had for you. You can't have a liaison or rendezvous. You can't be a bachelor or fiancé unless you don't mind throwing money away. Was a French, and we're taking back our words. England was a French, and we're taking our words back. Me and Jacob Rees-Mogg at the rendezvous. I told him what I was planning to do. I thought at my throat he was going to leap, but not to be honest, he just fell asleep. I was blistering satire when I wrote it two years ago. I met <laughs> Boris Johnson, who said to me, that cannot be. Yes, it can, Boris, and you've incurred a fee. Those noises you make sound a bit French to me. But I am a dancer. I do ballet. Well, that is a French word, and so you'll have to pay. But I, I couldn't endure the financial strain. Then go work in cyber. It's time to retreat. Was a French, and we're taking back our words, you word. England was a French, and we're taking our words back. So don't date a brunette, don't eat a baguette, don't eat salad, especially with vinaigrette. Don't stay in a hotel or maisonette. And I hope you're not planning to read a gazette, and you can't read a novel or watch television. You can't play lacrosse or have optimism. You can't use a machine or have a massage, and you can't use French surnames like Farage. <laughs> you can pay me with credit or cash or check. They're all French words, you fool. You're a financial wreck. I guess you might call it my coup de grace. But if you did, I'd sue your ass. Hey, England was a French, and we're taking back our words. You would. Hey, England was a French, and we're taking our words back. So now I must go. Au revoir, so long.
Ah, but don't worry, England. We'll let you keep. Hongi, hongi, hong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, so that clever. Was fantastic, David Eagle. Uh, thanks. I'll put my headphones back on so I can hear you complimenting me. Complimenting me there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're still applauding. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're still going. <laughs> that was that, that was amazing. Uh, David Eagle, thank you for joining us. Thank on you so much. Song is the key of life. What a pleasure to speak to you. Oh, thank you. Um, good luck with everything. I know you've just finished. <laughs> I know you've just finished a, a little tour with the youngins. Um, yeah. But hopefully you can let us know when that when you guys are on tour again, and our listeners will be uh, more than happy to go and see them, or indeed go and see you as the David as the Eagle. As the David Eagle. As the David Eagle. And now Eagle. I've got yeah. the reverb on my voice that I put on for this. So this yeah. is where I should have done my election campaign. But uh, <laughs> it makes me sound so much... It's amazing how reverb makes you sound so much more authoritative. More was... politicians should do, like, speeches in caves. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think you were trying to say, goodbye, David. <laughs> <laughs> goodbye, David. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, adios, farewell You'll be glad to hear that We think that your interview went well But we have other things to get on with now So you're gonna have to go I'm sure our paths will cross again But whoever really knows It's been fun, it's been musical It's been comical at times But now we have to leave you So goodbye, goodbye That was David Eagle I mean, just, I love that guy so much Because he's just, uh, I know Brave is probably overused But he's also really sticks to his guns He's so talented. Yeah. And politically, so talented. politically sound and funny. And I've, if you speak to him in real life, he's just a stream of consciousness. He's just a funny man. He finds comedy and humor at every turn. He's a delight to hang out with. If you get a chance to go and see David Eagle, go and see David Eagle. If you'd like to hear more or see more of David Eagle, why not visit him at his website, www.davideagle.co.uk, or catch him on Twitter at the David Eagle. Please keep sending us in your wonderful songs for the Songs in the Key of Laugh comedy song competition. Send them in to songsinthekeyoflaugh at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support our podcast, join us at patreon.com forward slash songs in the key of laugh. Or coffee.com forward slash songs in the key of laugh. See you Bye. next week. Bye. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.